Hey there, Shedsters, a warm welcome, and I do hope that you have had a lovely week. Pretty damn warm here in parts of the UK, hasn't it? A bit cooler now, which I appreciate. Anyway, whatever it is that you've got up to, I hope that you've been, you know, keeping groovy. And it was all pretty groovy this morning at St. Leonard's Church in Streatham, our home church here in London, where I had the chance to give the sermon. St. Leonard's is, uh, it's a very lovely rainbow community of people and I feel we're very lucky to be there and to be led by our dear friend Anna the rector and I'm so grateful to her for giving me opportunities like this morning to contribute and today I talked from the gospel passage uh, set by the lectionary pattern of readings readings, uh, and the gospel passage is all about the so-called demoniac who Jesus liberated which I think is all pretty relevant to what we've been talking about. So I've decided to focus on that story a bit more today. Not so much uh, on what I said this morning in the sermon, but bits that I didn't touch upon, uh, but probably would have liked to if I'd had time. Uh, But just before that, let me show you this little chappy here. (laughs) Now, I know gulls aren't the most popular birds in the world, especially if you've had one of them nick your chips down at the seaside or or grab your your ice cream right out of the cone um but actually i i like gulls i have to say and i think it's very difficult to dislike this one here um we were actually uh with our friends we had our friends dave and hill from london staying with us this week and uh we went out for a day down to west bay you know where Broadchurch, the 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 uh, tv series was set and uh we were in the the market in west bay and just came out wondering where we'd have a cup of coffee and suddenly upon the tin roof we saw these three chicks just waddling around as the most natural things in the world and uh i always feel it's a magic moment you know when suddenly i connect with i mean especially birds which i love a lot but you know, there are times you, you can be walking through nature without necessarily connecting with nature. And those moments when you, you're stopped in your tracks and you just focus, um, it's a mindful moment, isn't it? And very wonderful. So instead of lighting the candle this morning, I'm just going to show you another picture of uh, the brother or sister of this particular one. And just, just spend a few moments of quiet with this little person. And we say thank you to God for such a wonderful world and for those special moments when instead of just carrying on with our business, we pause and connect and come out of that moment feeling more alive than when we went in. Amen. So last time here in the shed we were thinking about the way that evil is manifested in the world and especially in you know systems of power and coercive forces within society and uh, so as i say it happens that the gospel reading uh, for today uh, was talking about demons and stuff and and it and it seemed like a pretty good basis to talk 
a bit more about this subject. Uh, on the face of it, it's a story about a naked man. Oh, yes, a naked man. Actually, a, a crazy naked man who spends his life, his home is among the graves, it says. Uh, someone who the locals, you know, try to capture to stop him kind of, I don't know, scaring the kids or whatever. So they'd chain him up and try to confine him and he would always break out of the chains and escape. And on one level, it's a story about a wonderful personal miracle, you know, a transformation where Jesus delivers this man from his demons and it says restores him to his right mind which is a lovely turn of phrase and quite a modern turn of phrase actually uh, the story begins with jesus uh, coming into the graveyard and asking the man his name and he says it's legion and uh, the writer adds for many demons had entered him and um the demons beg Jesus not to order them back to the abyss, but to let them enter a herd of, of pigs that were there instead. And um, Jesus, you know, rather interestingly, seems to show some compassion for them by allowing this to happen. But the pigs become demented or whatever and rush down the bank into the lake and are drowned all pretty weird i think you'll agree except that i think this isn't just a story about one man's deliverance though i love that part of it it's a story laden with political significance oh yes i know that you may you know read and think politics where are the politics in this uh well actually i'd say that the story is itself uh, a protest against the tyranny of rome I think that that's the underlying agenda of this story. It's a message of hope, cleverly wrapped up in one man's story. Let me explain. The location uh, of where this happened is on the opposite side of Galilee, on the opposite side of the lake to where Jesus spent most of his time. It's in a region, Decapolis, which is, is a sort of half-Gentile territory, really, which was regarded by Jews as unclean for precisely the reasons detailed in the passage. Um, devout Jews would not wish to set foot in that region. You know, it was a place of compromise, not just about, um, you know, the presence of the pigs, but I think it was a place of compromise with Rome, of which the pigs in the story become a symbol. Now, there's no agreement among the gospel readers as to the exact location but mark chooses gerasa uh, perhaps because by the time that he wrote his gospel uh, vespasian's general lucius annius slaughtered a thousand rebels who were besieged in gerasa and and then they flattened all the surrounding villages in a sort of um, mad rage that is not unlike stuff that we're seeing on our tvs at the moment the name of the man legion is an unmistakable reference to the roman militia you know legion of soldiers and uh, the ironic association in the story between the roman army and a herd of pigs you know which were considered unclean it's perfectly clear to me what that association is all about there's a there's a wonderful entertaining irony in that 
The whole story, I think, is about Rome, actually, and empire. Uh, on one level, yes, it's about the deliverance of a man. But actually, it's about liberation from the domination system of Rome, the hope of that. I've little doubt that it's based on, uh, you know, some real event, uh, the core of which we can't really, you know, now know. But the story, I think, has then been embellished and told in a particular way. I think it's cleverly constructed, as a number of stories in the Gospels are. Uh, in this instance, it's in order to use details uh, that they've put into the story as symbols of the wider resistance to imperial power. I love the personal story, which I'll get to in a moment. But the deeper meaning of the passage is about the promise expressed in the exorcism of the man, the promise of God's ability to defeat and reorder the disordered powers of the world, which torment individuals and communities. And in this case, I think it's God's power to reorder um, the, the, the expression uh, of war and political violence that's associated with Rome. Last time, we looked at Walter Wink's important work on the biblical notion of the powers that be. And we saw that Wink analyzes the, uh, the function of the demonic within social systems of power, to which I added, you know, the presence of the demonic, the demonic in, in socio-cultural attitudes like racism or homophobia, or, or indeed any form of discrimination. Um, there is a malevolent presence and energy that um, drives those sort of attitudes and, uh, and trends along. And Walter Wink starts from St Paul's observation that all the powers, whether conceived of supernaturally or politically, are created and set in place by God to support and to fulfil the purposes of God, to spread goodness and justice in, within their sphere of influence. But he also makes the point that these powers, the be, can become demonic by turning from their God-given purpose to self-serving. Basically, they become idolatrous. And when this happens, the demonic, and you know, stress again, I'm not talking about actual beings, but I'm talk I am talking about malevolent forces. Um, when this happens, the demonic uh, come into being spreading domination and oppression uh, throughout that realm. In the passage about the demoniac, uh, Jesus is facing up to the physical reality of Rome combined with its interior spirit, that driving demonic energy that found expression through the imperial mechanism of military domination. Uh, and that, I believe, is the more subtle meaning of the story. It's about the kingdom of God, which Jesus was so passionate about, coming up against the oppressive might of empire. And all of that is revealed through these subtle, you know, symbols and signs, the name legion, the pigs, and so on and so forth. But the unique method of opposing and ultimately healing the powers, which Jesus taught and showed us, is one of non-retaliatory spiritual resistance, you know, which trusts in God and the greater power of goodness, compassion and justice, if you will. 
So he didn't come to lead uh, a military uprising, you know, a terrorist uprising. Um, his form of opposing, and I believe it's throughout the entire Gospels, the backdrop is this clash between empire and the kingdom of God. And, uh, and as we've seen in recent sheds, one of the mechanisms by which the powers maintain their system of domination is through a false dualism, you know, uh, of who's included and who's excluded, us and them, friends and enemies. The beauty of the gospel story is seen in the way that Jesus uh, goes to heal this person, Legion, and um, he, he directly goes to him. Presumably, as far as we can tell from the story, he, he would have been a Gentile. And um, the beauty of it is that Jesus goes straight to this Gentile, who is the symbol of oppression. And uh, he does something that in his day was unthinkable for a devout Jew, let alone a rabbi. He steps out of the safe home territory into this unclean territory heals the most untouchable of the untouchables, then makes him, in effect, his first apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus shows that the way to combat, combat empire is to live, to incarnate the kingdom of God uh, with truth and resistance, but expressed through compassion and kindness, inclusiveness, justice and non-retaliation. In our trip, me and Pat, in our trip, to the West Bank a couple of years ago in, in uh, Palestine, Israel, we met so many wonderful grassroots grassroot Palestinian people who were very vocal uh, and vocally committed to what they called beautiful resistance. You know, beautiful resistance to horrible, oppressive, brutal Israeli uh, actions and policies toward them. But we mustn't forget that at the core of the gospel passage, there is this personal story, which I'd like to focus on for a few moments. Jesus goes to the scary man and straight away asks him a question. What is your name? I mean, here is a man who in our world would undoubtedly be whisked away, you know, taken into care as, I don't know, a paranoid schizophrenic. I'm not an expert in those things, but I guess something like that. Uh, but in his world, he lived in a world that knew nothing of mental health or mental illness. There was no support, no care package, no tools or insights for understanding his condition. There's a wonderful quote in Terry Pratchett's book, Carpe Jugulum, where someone says, one of the characters says, sin is when you treat people like things. I love that. Sin is when you treat people like things. Carpe jugulum, by the way, means to seize by the jugular, you know, by the throat, which is what prejudice and ignorance does, strangles the life out of people. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You know, that was literally true for George Floyd, but it became a powerful metaphor for racism in general and potentially for all kinds of forms of discrimination. Beautifully, Jesus absolutely refuses to go down that road. He refuses to treat the man as a thing. And so his first uh, interaction with him is that question. What is your name? 
He humanizes someone who has been completely dehumanized. What is your name? I mean, I doubt anyone had asked him that in a very long time. He had no name that he could remember or, or knew of, you know, no identity. He was identified by his problem, uh, which is what prejudice and ignorance does. Labels people, you know, categorizes them, reduces them to things. I can't help wondering when I read this story, you know, what the man did for a living before things went sideways. I mean, what, what was he before all this? Did he have siblings? How many? You know, what food did he enjoy? Was, what was his favourite song? Um, did he support Liverpool? Just asking. Uh, what is your name? It's a question that can be, you know, the start of an interrogation or just a common courtesy. But for the man in our story, it was the beginning of his liberation. It's where it all started. Freedom started right there with that deeply humanizing question. And who knows, you know, perhaps it, perhaps it did trigger somewhere in the back of this poor man's demented mind. Perhaps it, it triggered some distant memory of who he had been, you know who he truly, truly was beneath the rubble. Maybe, maybe he was Simon or Philip or Dave. Somehow, I'm sure that question, that act of humanization by Jesus, sort of pulled open a little curtain on a different life for this man, that somehow, suddenly, there was possibility. There was restoration. I've already said that I don't believe in, in demons as beings, you know, creatures out there. I mean, yes, I know they're in the Bible, but we don't live in biblical times. For me, there are lots of things in the Bible that I can't translate literally into our world of today. Our horizons are different. You know, our experience is different. The world has changed. Thank goodness, actually, the world has changed in 2,000 years. I'm so glad that there is a thing called mental health. There is a thing called mental illness, um, which can then be viewed and treated compassionately. You know, the world has changed in those 2000 years. And I can't see any other reason to insist that the Bible is right about everything, historically, scientifically, anthropologically, theologically, I don't know what else. There's no reason to insist upon that other than to defend an ideological position about the Bible's infallibility. You know, once we let go of that, sure, it's no problem that the Bible isn't right about everything, that the Bible is contextualized in the world in which uh, these events happened. And so the, the job of Bible reading isn't just to sort of read it off the page and take everything literally as it stands. There it is. Um, it's, it's more challenging than that. It's a job of hermeneutics, of interpretation, of how do we bring these horizons into some constructive and useful interaction. But I hope I'm conveying that while I don't believe in demons as actual creatures, I do treat it as night language, you know, a metaphorical way of pointing to something else which is real. Uh, for me, the man was mentally ill, but he still suffered from demons, you know, the demons of ignorance that that plagued him, the demons of rejection, of marginalization, demons of fear, 
all of which are very, very real, if not literally real. And plenty of demons exist in our world today, you know, horrible, malevolent, toxic energies uh, which arise from and work through ego-driven attitudes, prejudices, mindsets, through greed and selfish desires for power and, and control and all of these sort of things. Uh, and these find expression in individual lives, also in, in families, in wider communities, in businesses, in sport, in politics, oh yes, in politics, um, in all manner of structures and seats of power within our society. But here's the thing, putting these two layers of the gospel story together, the political interpretation about Jesus' resistance to imperialism and the personal story of the liberation of a particular person, um, you know, through bringing these things together, what Jesus demonstrates is that the way to resist evil on a personal or on a societal level, the way to bring healing, you know, into whatever realm we're talking about is by being, by staying human right there in the midst of a dehumanized and dehumanizing world. I don't for a moment believe Jesus set out to initiate a new religion called Christianity. You know that I've said it many times. I don't think that's what Jesus was about. I believe he set out to proclaim and reveal the kingdom of God, the possibility of a different world, the possibility of a new community uh, based on love and justice. The term kingdom of God is, well, I think it's understandably problematic in today's world. I mean, it's, it's, it's monarchical. It's got monarchical implications that don't necessarily sit well, which is why I love um, the New Testament scholar John Dominic Crossan's definition of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is a companionship of empowerment. The kingdom of God is a companionship of empowerment, a place where fortunes can be reversed, you know, where the rubble of self-deprecation is cleared away, where the true identity, uh, you know, can be discovered, a place of liberation through fellowship, friendship and love. It's so easy for any of us in life to forget who we truly are. I, I don't mean, you know, we can't remember our names, there are a lot of things I do struggle to remember these days. Uh, I'm not talking about that, but the, the, it's easy to forget who we truly are here, to over-identify ourselves with our problems like the man in the story did, uh, to over-identify ourselves with, with, with physical ailments or with faults and failings, uh, our limitations in life, to lose touch with our essential uniqueness, you know, our dreams and visions ourselves we need to be constantly reminded reminded that's that's a lovely way to think of it isn't it to find a fresh mind you know paul says in romans chapter 12 that we need to be renewed in our minds reminded of who we truly are um, but sometimes lose touch with and who is that precious precious human beings god's beloved told you before a little uh you know prescription that i give you is spend some time 
Maybe you could do it each day, but that might be challenging. Looking in the mirror and saying, Dave, God's beloved. Dave means beloved, actually. But for us each to say, Dave, uh, Pat, Joan, whoever we are, God's beloved. So when I read this gospel story about the so-called demoniac, I'm going to call him Dave, actually. <laughs> when we read this gospel story about Dave, I find a message of protest and hope against the dehumanising forces of empire. Not back 2,000 years ago, but the way in which that is still present, still exists in our world today. There are so many forces of dehumanisation, uh, even in our wonderful democratic societies. Um, but I also find a message about who we are supposed to be in the world. Uh, that were people who share in a common rainbow humanity. Now, there's more to say about demons and the demoniac, uh, or the demonic, than I've said today, and and um, I've touched on one aspect. Uh, we'll get to more of it. Um, meanwhile, do you know some of you have sent me some questions? Keep on sending me questions that arise about this whole area to you, and I will do my best to to get something together and talk about them. Okay, here is a prayer alongside a lovely Banksy image. Loving God, source of all life, who delights in colour and diversity, who explodes stereotypes and disrupts, disrupts, disrupts narrow designs, help us to embrace this world with open minds and generous spirits to live as omens of a better age, in which friendship, kindness and justice overwhelm hatred, cruelty and egotism, and Mother Earth can breathe again, incite and inspire us to live more fully as we lean into the brave new world envisaged by Jesus and by so many others who walk this way. Help us to stay fully human, even when the world around us feel so desperately inhuman. Amen. Well, we're going to finish with a drink to that, I reckon. So if you have one handy, I invite you to take a hold of it now, pour it, whatever. And uh, let's make a toast. Let's toast this coming week. You know, whatever it brings. And none of us knows exactly. We think we know some of it but we don't know here's to this week whatever it brings uh, a toast to staying human even when it's tempting to just give in and go with the flow uh, to be inhuman by just being complicit through silence you know here's a toast to beautiful resistance to everything that dehumanizes us and people around us a toast to life in all its fullness to life lachaim Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you like what we're doing here in the shed, you can support us. You can buy us a coffee by going to the coffee site. The link is here on your screen. It's also always at the top of the posts on the uh, Holy Shed Facebook page. And, uh, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting us in this way and, and lots of other ways. A kind word 
is a much appreciated form of uh, of, of of appreciation so yeah uh what i've got to say oh yeah just one thing is that on thursday this week i shall be leading a zoomed soul space tuesday i think it is is tuesday the 21st i think so that's the solstice summer solstice so we're focusing on solstice and summer and uh, you're very welcome to join us it's very very undemanding you know you just need to link up you don't even need to be seen on screen if you don't want to be uh it's on thursday seven o'clock hosted by my lovely friends in the Croydon uh, Oasis Church social group. Be good to have you. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to finish actually with something that I like rather a lot. Um, you know, there are those people around, aren't there, who just exemplify what it is to stay human. And I think two men who magnificently have stayed human a desmond tutu sadly no longer with us and the dalai lama and uh they were best friends and this is a little film of them talking to each other in the middle of the pandemic period not long before tutu died about joy and happiness so i hope you enjoy that and uh have a great week you know do what you can to care for the world around you be kind to people do be kind to yourselves I meet so many people who are just not kind to themselves. Um, be kind to yourselves and stay human, and I'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs> Indeed, I'm very, very happy and great honor uh, to talk one of my old friend and a spiritual friend. So I really happy having this opportunity. Although physically, we say distance, but mentally, we always together. I always consider you as an elder spiritual brother. So naturally, now getting older, older, but your spirit remain uh, generation to generation. I myself, you see, till my death, I carry your spirit. And then uh, one occasion, our meeting at Dharmasala, you mentioned as a believer of God. So you, after that, ready to go heaven. Uh, I'm, according to Christianity, I'm not a believer. So Dalai Lama uh, go something different place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad, obviously, to be in touch with my dear friend, His Holiness, and to see him looking so well. Yes, he, he looks like he's on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> we have been very much looking forward to uh, this session 
with His Holiness. Are we good? Okay, great. His Holiness. Listen, act like a holy man. <laughs> you are mischievous, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, I consider that person also, you see, mischievous person. <laughs> Unfortunately, that person is Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he's a Buddhist. <laughs> There's a question of um, how you think about your own deaths. That possibility. Quite polite. <laughs> well, he doesn't mind too much because there's the reincarnation. <laughs> and I'm wondering. What is it about your friendship with each other that allows you to have this kind of extraordinary joy? He's always troubling me. <laughs> <laughs> I admire him enormously. Oh, oh, he's going to get proud. <laughs> I have your saying, he is there for us as a, as a beacon. So I really love, you see, he always teasing me, and also I tease him. Oh, you see, so, so we really become something, something quite special. Yes. So, mm -hmm. and also his face <laughs> is, you see, the head looks like a monk now. <laughs> no. oh. <laughs> you see, this picture, special picture, uh, I think at time of my death, I will remember you. I want to commend the makers of the film that you have given the world a wonderful gift. <laughs>